Hello and welcome to this Green Deal podcast with me, Armin Doncel. In this podcast series, we discuss the challenges of and potential responses to climate change. This is because in the scientific community and by extension in society at large, global warming is now taken as an established fact. But there are those who question this claim or at least dispute the accepted causes and or impact of climate change. They are a minority, but a vocal one. While climate change denial is nothing new, it has gradually evolved over time. So what does it look like in 2022? Who is most receptive to it and how, if at all, can we tackle it? These are the thorny questions our journalists have been asking across the EU. Social media has proved a massive boon for the so-called deniers. It has given them a global platform and the ability to reach billions of people at the click of a mouse, whether their tactic of choice is the selective and misleading use of factual data or a full-on disinformation campaign. But who out there is intent on distorting scientific fact and spreading fake news? Well, as Sherlock Holmes might ask, who stands to benefit? Clearly large corporations, indeed entire sectors, are out to protect their financial and business interests. They oppose any hint of regulation that might threaten those interests, as Kimon Hajibiros Emeritus Professor at the National Technical University of Athens, tells Nikos at member station Sky. There are lobbies that promote this controversial position. And of course, one can very easily connect these lobbies with those who have an interest in not changing the way energy is produced. In other words, by remaining wedded to fossil fuels. This irrational tendency is fueled by various interests related to fossil fuels. It involves a range of people, but not a very large percentage, around 10 or maybe 20%, depending on the circumstances and the country in question. In the face of scientific fact and the broad consensus that has now emerged in Europe that climate action should be prioritized, many of these lobbies have been forced to change tack. Most of them are no longer denying the existence of climate change per se. Instead, their strategy is to offer alternative interpretations of the facts, downplaying the impact of their own activities on the climate and either proposing different climate solutions that would not affect their businesses or promoting inertia. Michael Mann is the renowned American scientist who inspired Leonardo DiCaprio's character in the film Don't Look Up. Man helped make the link between climate change and human activity 20 years ago with his so-called hockey stick graph, which was published in the IPCC report. As someone who has faced decades of attacks by deniers and lobbyists, he is in a unique position to judge how things have evolved And evolved they have, he confirms to Miriam, a Belgian journalist with RTBF. We've largely seen a disappearance of denialism. People get it now. People see it happening. It's very difficult for polluters to deny that it's happening. It doesn't mean that they have quit 
in their effort to prevent us from acting, but they have come up with new tactics. The challenge is when it comes to the solutions. The fossil fuel companies and those promoting their view will argue that, hey, we can continue to burn fossil fuels. We will just um, engage in some other massive manipulation of our environment, uh, geoengineering, will capture the carbon. It's very difficult to do. It's very difficult to imagine it being done at a scale that would really make a difference, but it is being used as an excuse today by polluters for business as usual, reliance on fossil fuels right now. Borod from RTV Slow interviews Dr. Alenka Zupancic, a philosopher, scientific advisor and professor at the Slovenian Academy of Sciences and Arts. Zupancic concurs with man's analysis. It seems to me that the problem needs to be framed a little differently before we can even begin to address it. Recently, we can no longer say that the main problem is the deniers. Of course, there are some of these, but I think that an indirect form of denial is much more perfidious, where we say, yes, of course, we know everything, that's a big problem, and then continue to behave as if we don't really know. In fact, denial is prevalent in the same way that a certain social inertia continues to play out. At the level of the mainstream politician who admits everything, who has a mouth full of green words, but whose actions suggest that he or she is completely unaware of the severity of the problem. And then they point the finger at those nutty deniers, saying we're not like that, we're rational, we're aware of the problem. In practice, they are actually doing the same thing, or worse even, because they're in a position of power, because they have the opportunity to take this matter in hand, and yet they do not. The climate summit was a good example of how something radical can be acknowledged and yet not acknowledged at the same time. Environmental engineer Stefano Caserini, who runs the climate change mitigation course at the Polytechnic University of Milan, founded the Klimalteranti.it blog to fight fake news on climate change. Here he tells Giulia at Radio 24 what he considers the most dangerous misinformation out there right now. The most significant at the moment for me is the idea that it is too expensive to act. In other words, we can't afford climate change policies, so we should continue to encourage fossil fuels because the transition needs time, we shouldn't rush it. This is the most dangerous fake news, because if we really want to meet the targets set by the Paris Agreement, which was signed by 194 countries, not by me or by Legambiente or by the Italian Climate Network, then we have to act quickly. Of course, we can take the targets back to the negotiating table, but if we agree with them, the IPCC report tells us that to achieve a reduction in global warming from 2 degrees to much less than 1.5, we need to reduce emissions dramatically and reach net zero emissions by 2050. This gives us 28 years, so the transition has to be extremely fast. Today, the most dangerous people are those who recognize the problem, but say we should wait before we act. Caserini stresses that a meticulous corroboration mechanism lies behind every piece of scientific data published. 
behind every theory or piece of news shared by the scientific community. Yet, errors do sometimes sneak through. And when this happens, climate change deniers don't miss the trick, shouting about it from the metaphorical rooftops of social media. And they are helped by the fact that social networks act as our very own echo chamber, as Elenka Zupancic tells our Slovenian colleague Borut. The boom of social networks, which on the one hand appears to be a kind of pluralism, an outward opening, is in fact an inward opening. A view is recycled, doing the rounds in a narrow circle of like-minded people. And how social networks work, they're set up to find out what you are looking at and to narrow your perspective even further. In short, their method of operation and how they select the news feed that you get is not intended to broaden your horizons in any sense and to break through these bubbles, but quite the opposite, to make you even more convinced about what you already think. As with anything else, there are differences to be found between member states when it comes to how receptive people are to mis- and dis-information out there. Kremena Ivanova a journalist at the BNR in Bulgaria explains that Bulgarians tend to be rather skeptical in general, whether of scientific data, political institutions or the media. The different rates of climate change and its different consequences across the globe often make the climate the subject of fake news, both by those who exaggerate the problem and by those who ignore it. Among Bulgarian consumers, however, scepticism and distrust are rife, both towards institutions and the web. For its part, Portugal seems to be less affected by climate change denial. Cristina from Radio Renascença asked Luisa Schmidt, one of the country's first environmental sociologists, why this might be. Schmidt believes that two factors are at play here. The fact that these movements fail to enter the sphere of public debate in Portugal and the great faith Portuguese people place in scientists. Portugal still manifests a certain civic weakness that serves to stifle the creation of affirmative public movements. Basically, it has a bit to do with what the philosopher José Gilles says about the fear of existing. There are still a number of obstacles to public civic affirmation. We need to overcome barriers that are very internalized. The second reason I consider very important is that in Portugal, science is highly respected and followed to a remarkable degree. People respect the gravity of scientists and when we analyze, for example, the media coverage of climate change, we see that there is unanimity in the Portuguese scientific body which demonstrates a certain lucidity. And both European and national surveys show that people in Portugal really trust scientists. Yet while climate change denial differs in nature and extent from one person to another and from one country to another, those who doubt facts that are widely accepted by the international scientific community tend to have a few things in common. Eva Budraite an analyst at Lithuania's Green Policy Institute, an environmental think tank, tells Yone at Radias that the most vulnerable sections of society are more inclined to reject the climate action pushed by politicians. 
ilgą laiką buvom netgi manoma, kad to šalys, kurios yra ekonomiškai labiau pažangi. For a long time it was assumed that economically advanced countries were more concerned about climate change. But recent research shows that the situation is far more nuanced. Even in a very advanced country, people who are less socially secure, or at least feel this way, those who are exposed to unemployment or who earn lower incomes, are more likely to be skeptical about all environmental issues. They are also skeptical about other issues in society, such as immigration and how to manage it, health care and vaccines. According to an MIT study, fake or misinformed news spreads faster and becomes more deeply embedded in fact, and with two-thirds of the Twitter links to popular websites thought to be generated by automated accounts, disinformation and misinformation are clearly a threat to both democracy and social cohesion. So how do we tackle this? Well, Brussels has developed a swathe of initiatives. One example is a code of practice on misinformation for industry, including online platforms, which sets out a series of self-regulatory standards. Another is an action plan to strengthen the EU's capacity to fight misinformation. Femke Neisser is 29 years old. She has a PhD in mathematics in climate science and is currently doing a postdoc on energy modeling at the University of Exeter in the UK. Together with a team of international volunteers, she spends much of her free time correcting misinformation about climate change on Wikipedia. Miriam from RTBF met her to ask her more about this unusual hobby. It's an extremely fun activity, but also quite addictive. I edit mostly the climate articles on Wikipedia and also the energy articles. Um, and that takes me about 10 to 15 hours a week. Most of the job is just know the science that I know, put it on Wikipedia and the science that is outdated or wrong, get it off. But there's also some people that want to use Wikipedia for their own gains and would add uh, misinformation or even disinformation on Wikipedia. Um, you have climate denial, which is a problem mostly on non-English Wikipedias. But you also have climate activists that may misunderstand the science and put that on Wikipedia. But while Femke Neisse is an expert in her field and knows what to look out for, how can the rest of us recognize when something we see about climate change is false or misleading? Stefano Caserini shared some tips with Giulia from Radio 24. We can say that after more than 30 years of studying climate science at the highest level, in all the most important research laboratories in the world, if something really goes against what the scientific community is saying about the climate, then you should question it. Maybe not all the scientists, not all the experts are wrong, but instead it is your source who is telling you something that is not correct. So the first thing to do is to check how far a news item differs from the scientific consensus, and from the vast majority of scientists' views. We are no longer in the 18th century, when science progressed thanks to the ingenious insights of a single scientist who moved things forward. Today, progress is achieved little by little, one day at a time, by improving on an already very consolidated picture. 
Another important thing is to find out who the source is. It is one thing if it's a climate expert who works in a climate research center and has dozens of scientific publications on the subject and a great deal of experience. The scientific training, the qualifications of those who provide the information is of primary importance. So the key message is don't believe everything you read and always check your sources. And if you're really not sure about the accuracy of a particular piece of news or data, then check out a reputable fact-checking website. They may already have looked into it for you. Thanks for listening. And if you're keen to hear about farmers of the future and the future of farming, join us for a new episode of the Green Deal podcast with contributions from the European Radio Network, Euronet Plus. Till then.